Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. So when I was in the fourth grade, there was a bully in our school in the sixth grade. He was probably the one of the biggest, he was certainly the meanest boy in the sixth grade. And he picked on everybody. And at one particular season when I was in the fourth grade, he decided to start picking on me. He was like pushing me and hitting me and stuff like that. I know it may be hard to be, believe, but I was a little afraid. I was skinny. Finally, one day I got my courage up. I looked at him and I said, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? <laughs> and he stopped picking on me. I thought, wow, this is good. What I didn't know is that he had gone to the fourth grade and found the meanest boy in the fourth grade to beat me up. And so one day after school, right there in the courtyard, Mary Oaks Elementary School in East Charlotte, this boy drags me and beats me up right there. Now, I had voiced my complaint about the injustice of him picking on somebody younger than him, and he gave me an answer. It was not the answer I wanted. And that reminds me of the prophet Habakkuk that we're going to look at today. We're at harvest. We're going through the minor prophets, these last 12 books of the Old Testament. We're taking one per week. And by the way, if you're just kind of joining us, uh, we, we have guides and those are out there at the lobby if you want to read along through the week. But Habakkuk was a man, this is more than 600 years before Christ, that voiced complaints to God. And Habakkuk is an interesting book because normally in the prophets, the prophets are speaking, they're hearing God's message and they're talking to the people about what God has to say. Now that ultimately is what's happening, but what we get is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And this is the background. Here's the question. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? How do you deal with injustice in our world or maybe in your personal world? These are the type of questions that Habakkuk poses for us. And it helps us, hopefully, this hopefully, this sermon will help us move from questioning to faith. Now, they might, you might have questions about large-scale injustice in our world. There, there's so much injustice and violence and oppression all over the globe. Places like Uganda, where almost half of women that are married there say they're afraid that their current or most recent partner, they're afraid of them all the time. Um, 
In many places, women and children are lured into sex trafficking. They're promised a job or uh, school or something like that. And they're estimated today, today in our world, 50 million people held in modern-day slavery like this. These things are happening. And it's interesting that this falls on uh, today. November is the month that we recognize the International Day of Prayer for the, the, pers- the persecuted church. We remember brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted all over the world. And it used to be only one Sunday, and it, today is kind of the Sunday, but they, churches will often do it throughout the month. So it could be big things like that or many other things. By the way, these these things aren't just happening in other countries. This trafficking is happening right here, too. So it may be that or it might be smaller things that irritate you or you don't understand in your personal world. Like, why do you work hard for your company and end up getting a pay cut? When the boss's nephew doesn't work very hard and gets a raise. Or maybe students. Maybe you're on the basketball team and you work hard and you go to every practice and you do your best. You don't get much playing time. And some of the other kids that seems like they don't work very hard, they end up playing more in the game than you do. Or why does the most stuck up girl in school get chosen as the captain of the cheerleading squad? Maybe you wonder, why is it that evil people seem to always be healthy and rich and followed? Well, the common element in all of this is why do evil people get by with their actions, it seems, and where is God in that process? Today, Habakkuk is going to show us the only way that we can make sense of the broken world in which we live. So let's take a look here. If you're on that outline, if you have that outline, there's there's a chart. It's a back and forth. Chapter 1 is this chart of questions and answers between Habakkuk and God. The complaint Habakkuk makes is, God, why do you tolerate wrong? And God answers him, you're not going to believe this, but... And then... Then after hearing that, he he asked him, how can you tolerate and even use a group of people that are worse than Judah? And God's answer is wait in faith for the complete answer that will come in God's time. So let's let's walk through the, the these just three short chapters. God, why do you tolerate wrong? Habakkuk asked. Verse two. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked, him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Now, many of you will remember that Israel, God's chosen people at this stage of history, have divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, ten tribes and called Israel, and the southern kingdom, two tribes called Judah. In the 7th century B.C., 
there was a really good king in Judah named Josiah. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah says about Josiah, he judged the cause of the poor and needy, and then it was well. But when Josiah died, his son took over Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was nothing like his father. He was an evil king. He was an oppressive king. And naturally, he brought in the governors and people subordinates under him were also evil and oppressive. So the society at this time was full of evil and violence and oppression and moral decay. That's the environment that Habakkuk is living in and writing in, probably 625 B.C. up to maybe 575 B.C., somewhere in there we believe. And he asked this question, God, why are you tolerating this? Why are you tolerating this? So God answers, good news, Habakkuk, I am going to judge, but essentially you're not going to believe this, Habakkuk. You're not going to believe how I'm going to do it. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you're told. God tells him that he is going to bring justice. He is going to bring his judgment. But there's a catch about the way God chooses to do that. Verse 6 tells us, I'm raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. So we look at the map, it looks like this. Israel, the northern kingdom there in the dark green. At this time, Assyria has come in and... Uh, wreaked havoc and taken them away. And Judah is the southern kingdom is where Habakkuk lives and ministers. And there's another nation that's going to follow behind Assyria. That's going to take over after where they're going to, they're actually going to conquer Assyria and they're going to become the dominant power and that's Babylon. And so it might look like this. Babylon takes over Assyria. And then they are going to invade Judah. So when Habakkuk is writing, it seems like the northern exile has, uh, has already happened. The northern destruction has already happened. And Habakkuk is telling, the, the prophet is telling about the time when God is going to use the Babylonians to judge his own people. God, you're going to use wicked, violent people to judge your people? Well, that raises another question for Habakkuk once he gets that answer. And that is, God, how can you even tolerate? How can you even use a group of people that is worse than Judah? He's complaining about how bad it is in Judah. The Babylonians are worse. And God says, I'm going to use them. How, how can you do that, God? 
verse 12 to 17. Verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You know what? I love this about so much of of the Bible. It's just honest and raw. And sometimes we Christians try to smooth it over, right? If you read some of the Psalms and the the psalmist crying out to God, Habakkuk is questioning God. God, aren't you too holy to let this happen? You know, a lot of people struggle with things like that. In our world, they see injustices in their world and they ask the question, where is God? If God is good, why are these bad things happening? The Chaldeans were the last and greatest to rule in Babylon and they were a wicked nation. So let me give you one more graphic on it. It kind of looks like this. If you see the chart or the picture. Here's Habakkuk, and he's complaining about the corruption in his own national government. And God says, okay, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans in, and I'm going to take care of that. Are you sure you can do that, God? And here's what his answer is. Here's the answer. The second answer is wait in faith for the complete answer that will come in God's time. Verse 1 of chapter 2 finishes Habakkuk, he he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So Habakkuk is not irreverent, even though he's questioning. He's humble. He's honest before God, but he's saying, God, I'm going to wait. I want to hear the answer. And so in verse 2, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Put it in boxcar letters, Habakkuk. Make it big. So if the, if the runner is running with it and people can see it. All right. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of, of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So God promises Habakkuk, I am going to give you an answer. There is going to be an answer, but you're going to have to wait for it. I'm not going to give you the answer right now. There's going to be a delay. It's going to come in my time, in God's time. Now, the actual revelation comes through the rest of the book. Habakkuk doesn't know that yet. He probably doesn't even know he's going to write a book, or he probably didn't even physically write it. These were his prophecies and his words that perhaps someone wrote down. So here's Habakkuk not knowing what the final answer is. And God says, it's going to come. And the beginning of it, the beginning of it comes in the very next verse. One of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live 
by his faithfulness. Or I put in parentheses faith. It can be translated either way. There's a contrast here. There are two ways that people can respond to God. Way back, uh, what, six, 20, 2,700 years ago, 27, 2,800 years ago, there were two ways people could respond to God. It's the same two ways people could respond to God today. One of it is with arrogance and pride and being puffed up. I don't need God. I want to do it my way. The other is by faith and humility, waiting patiently on God. You see the contrast there in verse 4? There's, there's the, the, the enemy, he's puffed up. This is who he is. But, but the righteous person is going to be able to make sense of life and get through life and deal with life and deal with injustice by his faith or faithfulness. The only way, here's God's word for us this morning. The only way to make sense of this broken world is to live by The only way to make sense of the broken world is to live by faith. Now, when I say that, I need to make some qualifications because people have a lot of different ideas about what faith is. <laughs> you say the word faith, and that might mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And sometimes those notions aren't biblical. Faith is not always having things go your way just because God is on your side. Faith is not necessarily your ticket to a good job, popularity with the boys, being elected to student government, or health and wealth. Faith might be a ticket to waiting on God even when you don't understand him or see what he's doing. So God makes that statement, the just The righteous will live by faith. And in chapter 2, he is going to say that there's more than meets the eye, Habakkuk. There's more to it. I'm going to tell you, I am going to judge these people. And what we have in chapter 2 is that it may seem like evil is winning and that God is over here not doing anything. But chapter 2 turns the tables and God brings out five woes that are spoken by the oppressor or to the oppressor by the very people he has taken captive, which is really interesting. And it's like God is saying, I I really do care about these things. I really do care about these things. So while it may appear that the national bully is having his way with everybody, God is going to have the last word. So here are the woes. He gives a woe against extortion in verses 6 to 8. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Uh, uh, Unjust gain. Verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Uh, a woe against violence in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. God says that the wicked are to come to know that their lives have been spent for nothing. And he adds in verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You go to the beach. 
You look out there and you see those. It's an amazing thing to just stop and see the waters covering the sea. Now, remember that prophets, these Old, all, the Old Testament prophets, they're, they're layers of fulfillment. They're speaking in the first instance to things that are going to happen in the near future for them. And a lot of this they did, hadn't happened yet when Habakkuk said it, but it's already happened. But then there can be another layer of a, of a final ultimate fulfillment. And that's going to be that 214 is going to happen one day. Right now, the earth is not filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea. But there is going to be a day when it's going to be 100% complete. But there's also an intermediate level and layer of fulfillment that comes. It started with the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And things started to get fulfilled. So, for instance... While we wait for 2.14 to be ultimately fulfilled, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says that the full revelation of God's glory is given where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Right now, in this broken world, there's a way that more people can have the knowledge of the Lord. And it comes through Jesus. Because he lived and he died for us, he paid for our sins, and he rose again. And if he saved you from your sins, if he's made you a part of his people, every time that you and I share the gospel, the good news with somebody who doesn't know Christ, and they bow their knee before the Lord and trust Christ as their Savior and start following him, there's more knowledge of God. Are you involved in that? Are you reaching out to people who don't know Christ to, so that they will have this knowledge of the Lord? It, it's, a great, it's a great privilege that God has given us to be a part of that. Back to the woes, though. Verse 15 to 17, the woe is taking advantage of people. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk so he can gaze on their naked bodies. When the Babylonians captured people, they would give them uh, drink to make them drunk so they could gaze on their naked bodies. And it's ironic here that they're giving people a cup to drink and they're going to end up drinking the cup of God's wrath as a result of it. And then one more woe in the chapter is idolatry. Verse 18, woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. So there were literal idols then, and there's some literal idols today in different parts of the world, but there are a lot of figurative idols in our country, in our world, things that take the time, attention, and place that rightly only belong to God, like money and power and fame, success and comfort and feeling good, military might, beauty, tenacity, problem-solving skills, whatever it is that you make an idol of, we make an idol of. 
And so this section of woes in chapter 2, is it's designed to show us how God really feels about evil. And that God is really going to judge evil. And he's saying it to Habakkuk. I am going to judge those Babylonians. And we know in 487, Xerxes came in and the Babylonians were destroyed. So we know that came true. And it concludes in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. That comes right after this section about idolatry. And I think it's important because according to Isaiah 46, the Chaldeans would find no help or protection when they needed it most from their false gods, Baal and Nebo. (laughs) Where's their God? Where's Baal now? Where's Nebo now? But the one living and true God He's in his holy temple. You are going to be able to find him. Now, I think when Habakkuk wrote, it's probably referring to Solomon's temple that was there. But by the time this came true, Assyria had marched in and and destroyed it. So there wasn't a physical holy temple at that point. But the Lord's true throne is in heaven. And Habakkuk is pointing this out in contrast to these false gods and these false idols who are created by somebody. God created everything in contrast to these false idols who don't have any breath in them. God gives us breath. And in fact, we should just be silent before him. We do a lot in worship. We pray, we sing, we share with each other. We also have times of silence, right? And maybe we need to do that more because sometimes the most worshipful thing to do is just to stop, right? Well, so chapter one, the back and forth between God and Habakkuk. Chapter two, God says, there's more that that you don't understand. Let me tell you about this. And so now in chapter three, Habakkuk, Continues to pray. He responds to God in prayer based on who God is, based on what God is revealing about himself and revealing about evil. Now Habakkuk is going to respond. And basically, it's interesting to watch how Habakkuk moves from a stance of questioning in the beginning of the book to faith at the end of the book. He's on a journey. You know what? A lot of us are on a journey too. <laughs> and this can help us, hopefully. Let's, let's just point out what Habakkuk did that helps us. Um, here we have the musical uh, tune or setting mentioned. Because this is actually a song. Chad, I think Habakkuk did it in G, maybe. Maybe it was F sharp. I don't know. I didn't look that up. But he's, he's setting it out. He's going to sing this. So let's walk through it. And after we walk through a section, I'll, I'll, I'll draw out the principle. Look at verse 2. Lord, I, I love this prayer. Lord, I, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. 
in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Where does Habakkuk start? With worship. I stand in awe of your deeds. That's a great place to start in prayer, is with worship. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And he prays that what God has done in the past, he will repeat now. So the first way to move from questioning to faith is to voice your complaints to God and call on him. Sometimes we get bitter. Sometimes we get apathetic or we don't even think about it or we talk to other people about it. And that we should... Go to God with these complaints, with these issues, with these questions. Go to him and talk to him. Voice your complaints to him. One third of the Psalms that we love are laments. People opening their hearts out to God. And there are other entire books like Job and Lamentations that express the grief of the suffering of the godly. James Bruckner, a commentator, writes this, protest and lament can be faithful or unfaithful. Well, what's the difference? I think if we're railing against God, it's unfaithful. But I think if we're seeking God honestly and humbly, then it's faithful. Verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and praise filled the earth. Now, the original readers of this, when they would have seen those names, would have known that Teman is in southern Palestine and the Paran Mountains are further south on the eastern edge near the Sinai Peninsula. This was an area where God had been at work and where they had seen God at work. This was where God began forming the nation of Israel. This was where Israel escaped from Egypt. After God led them through the Red Sea. This was the home of Mount Sinai where God appeared to them and revealed his law to Moses. So God began to act on behalf of his people in powerful ways in the past. And Habakkuk remembered that and he knew that and he pointed back to those things and he says, God, will you do that Today, verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, you to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Habakkuk is essentially saying, everything's pretty tough now, God. But I remember how and where you showed up before. So this is the second principle that we employ to move from questioning to faith. And it's remember God's mighty power in the past. Remember God's mighty power in the past. Now for the last two action steps that we're going to see, look for the little phrase, yet I will. Yet I will. Two times now in the closing verses of this letter or this book, Habakkuk is going to say, in in spite of everything, I'm going to do something. In fact, there are two things I'm going to do. Yet I will. Verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet 
I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So the principle is this. Wait for God to bring justice. Let's just have a little poll here. This could be about anything. This could be waiting in line or waiting at the doctor's office's office or waiting on the phone for technical support. How many of you like to wait? You just really, really like to wait. Raise your hand really, really high. Look around. How many of you really, really like to wait? Yeah. <laughs> None of us like to wait. Faith believes in the power of God to accomplish deliverance. Faith sometimes includes being willing to wait for God to act in a way that isn't our choice. So we're not denying struggle today. We're not denying that they're tough questions. We're not trying to give pat answers. We're admitting that moving from questioning to faith can be a struggle. But God will meet you there. As you pray and wait. You know, we live in a society where almost anything goes. <laughs> almost anything goes. There's, there's basically no sense of right and wrong, hardly, in our culture. Now, many people have it, but overall as a culture, I mean, just imagine if you lived on Mars or Jupiter or Saturn or somewhere you can't live. And imagine you were this other being and you came down and you had no knowledge of America at all and somebody said okay for one week I'm going to give you 24 hour access to primetime TV and the most popular movies on Netflix and the internet okay and in that week you would be able to be exposed to almost every imaginable evil and unimaginable evil, rape, murder, hatred, gossip, war, prejudice, hypocrisy, selfish, selfishness, materialism, sexual deviation. And sometimes we, I mean, that, that's, we're swimming in that, people. And unfortunately, like the frog that, you know, you can't put the frog in the hot water because it'll jump out. But if, if you put the frog in lukewarm water and just gradually start turning the heat up, he will boil, right? Because we'll get used to it. And we have to be very, very careful that because our society is just continues to turn the heat up, right? And try to change the very definition of life and truth and man and woman and God and marriage and personhood and gender, everything, right? Everything is trying to be essentially said there's, there's no right one way. And it's, we could think, well, where's God? Is God nonchalant like we are? Justice is coming. And part of what we do is wait for him to execute it. Now, how do we know 
if we're waiting faithfully or unfaithfully. And the last few verses give us the key to that. Look what Habakkuk says in verse 17. And he's, he's not writing from his ivory tower. He's a man that, he's a prophet, and he knows when God says you're going to be destroyed, he knows what's going to happen. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle on the, in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The last step is to rejoice in God, even if you don't see his blessings yet. Rejoice in God. <laughs> Not rejoice in, in circumstances or people or outcomes. This is hard, but this is the only way sometimes. Rejoice in God. Now, verse 17, these are verses often quoted, but verse 17 needs to be understood in the context of verse 16. While the prophet waits for the fall of Babylon, he knows that it's going to involve oppression and poverty for his own people. He knows that. And the things that are named in these verses, that comprises their source of food, their agricultural commerce, the fig trees, the grapevines, the olive trees, the produce, the sheep and the cattle. And also these things are also symbols of God's blessing on obedient people. So he knows all that. And yet he says, even if all that's not there, even if none of that's there, I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to rejoice in God. Of course, everybody's happy when there's a harvest. But how many rejoice when there's a recession? So Habakkuk makes a conscious choice to rejoice in God. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to make a conscious choice. Life doesn't look good right now. But I'm going to rejoice. In the Lord. In the Lord. Does this make sense? Where he's going? In the Lord. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So like a deer who is sure-footed even up in the mountains, God gives Habakkuk that kind of security in what can be a dangerous place. Notice, he makes, he enables. Habakkuk's not saying, look at me, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm doing all this myself. No, it's, I need God. God is my strength. He is my savior. He is my salvation. And maybe some of you need to say that today. God, I can't do it anymore. I've got to stop trying to figure it out anymore. I've got to stop trying to change everything or control people or situations. God, 
I need your help. I need you to strengthen me to be able to do that because I can't do it on my own. You're my God. I'm going to trust you. The director of music on my stringed instruments. The righteous will live by his faith. Oh, those words echoed through the ages into the New Testament. We always want to ask, how does these things point to Christ? Paul, the apostle, as he was writing to the church at Rome, he's talking about two ways of being righteous. You can make it. Try to make it by the law and your self-effort or you can trust in Christ. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by, what's the next word? Faith. From first to last, just as it is written. And now he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. The righteous will live by faith. Paul also quotes it again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The writer of Hebrews quotes it too at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay and, and then he quotes, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I know I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Is that you today? <laughs> the message today, there's a message here for everybody. And it starts with people who maybe have not really trusted Christ for salvation, put your faith. That's total dependent. Yes, I believe in you. I need you. I'm not going to be puffed up and arrogant and think I'm okay. I'm going to admit that I'm sinful and separated from God. And I need a savior. I need Jesus who died on the cross for me. And he did that for you. And if you will open your heart to him and bow in humility before him, repent of your sins, mean agree with God about what he says about your wrong and turn to him in faith. You will be saved by faith. And many believers today still struggle with questions in our world or questions in your world. And maybe today God is saying the righteous will live by faith. The only way to make sense of this broken world is to live by faith. Let me close with two quick things. My oldest son, Jonathan, has a fence company. He builds fences. And he also refs basketball. He's a basketball official. He started middle school when he was in college. Then he got high school games, and then he started getting some college games. And he basically now refs almost all college games, occasional high school tournament or something. But now he's refing college games. And it's very interesting being a sports fan and obviously a big fan of my son. Tish and I would often, we'll often go see him ref a game. We don't care who wins or loses, right? We just want to watch him and encourage him and see him. And so it's really interesting to watch a basketball game from that perspective when you don't care who wins. All you care about is the ref. (laughs) And of course, you don't really tell anybody that you're related to the ref. Because 
you sit up in the stands and I never realized how biased all of us are till my son became a referee. Because every call, almost every call, I mean, some calls are really, really obvious, but there are a lot of close calls and almost every, a lot of those really close calls, half of the people are going to be happy and think, yeah, that ref really knows what he's doing. And half of them are thinking, oh, you're blind. What's wrong with you? Where, blah, blah, blah. My wife had to hold me down a couple of times. I wanted to go share in love with those people while they were wrong. Now, he hasn't refed in any like massive stadiums yet, but so some sometimes you know the home crowd is on one side, and sometimes the visitors on the other side. But sometimes there's some places where, like at the center court, like this half is rooting for one team, and this half is rooting for the other. And we usually like to sit close to mid court, maybe halfway up if we can get it, but where. You know, the scorer's table is, so when the ref comes over to do all that. So so we, we kind of get in the middle, and, and you're like, it's like ping-pong match. You know, these people over here, oh, a bad call. And so I've learned a few things. One thing I've learned is here we are sitting up here 50 feet away from the play, 60, 70 feet away from the play, and the ref is sitting there three feet away from the play, and we think we know more than he does. We also think we know every rule of basketball. I mean, the casual fan thinks they know every rule and every call. And these, now, refs aren't perfect, believe me. I know that. But they know a lot more than we know, and they usually have a better vantage point than we have. Now, they make mistakes because they're human. So the analogy is failing a little bit. I admit that. It's an analogy, okay? But I, in one of those games, now, I'm not saying this about all the games I've ever attended in my life with other people, but I've never yelled at the ref when I've gone to see my son ref because I trust him. I have a relationship with him, and afterwards we'll... Tell him all the great things. And sometimes we'll say, I'll say, hey, what about that situation in the third quarter? Because, I, I, you know, maybe I, I thought it was different. And so hear him explain, oh, yeah, that was tough. We did blah, blah, blah. Or no, here's what happened. I go, oh, okay. And, you know, it's kind of like life a little bit. There's not a perfect analogy. But we're all up in the stands, and it's like God is the ref, and, and we're, we're wanting to make all the calls. <laughs> we don't understand their calls or agree with their calls but unlike the human refs, God is perfect, and he's sovereign, and the game is not over. <laughs> so I don't know what you're struggling with today, but the game is not over. And God can be your strength and your salvation. Corey Ten Boom, some of you, maybe many of you know her story, not... Uh, in Nazi Germany, 19, well, she's born in 1892, arrested in 1944 um, because they, she was harboring Jewish people uh, to, to try to spare their lives from the Nazis. And her, her father died 10 days after they were arrested, so she and her sister Betsy remained for quite a while, ten, months in the, these series of prisons and concentration camps. 
Corey Ten Boom, finally, ten months later, was freed. And she said this once. I'll close with this. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Let's bow our heads, please. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.